As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Late night Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, very happy to be joined uh, in my house here. By uh, West Walls, I think the last podcast I did in my house with John Torchetti back in like January or February. And you did it from this house yeah, here? Yeah, right here. Where well, we were sitting. well, that's a fellow coach. I mean, you got a, that's a, he's a coach and you've got a nice place here. Kind of a rambler look. Uh, no downstairs here. Easy, easy to maintain. I know you're on the, on the road a lot and. Best part about doing this podcast is now I know where you live. Now I know where you live. <laughs> exactly, uh, Wes. Uh, very happy to be, uh, boy. Uh, for you, I'm really pleased that you uh, joined the podcast yeah, for a lot of reasons. Um, just a couple of things. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of big reasons is one, the Wilder getting ready to play the Vancouver Canucks. You know how much respect I have for you, and you've been to every one of these practices this last week. So I wanted to ask you what you're seeing. Um, also, talk to you a little bit about uh, this Canucks team, which I know you're pre-scouting for your role on Fox Sports North. But also look back at that incredible series that you guys played um, against the Vancouver Canucks in 2003. Um, Wes, you're still um, ranked uh, 16th in wild history with 182 points, tied for 12th with 82 goals, 15th with 438 games, lead the uh, franchise in history with 14 shorthanded goals still. Um, First of all, looking back at that time, I mean, do you look back, it's 17 years ago that you were part of that 2003 team, uh, 20 years ago that you were the, uh, one of the first free agents in wild history, if not the first, right? I don't think I was the first, but I, I probably would have been the first that came over from Europe. Yes. I, I happened to be, I was playing in Switzerland for four years before the NHL expanded. But uh, yeah, I mean, those those early years with the wild, Mike, were just uh, for, for all of us players that were, were blessed enough to wear a, a wild uniform in those early years. 
to try to build the foundation of just teamwork and, and, and hard work and playing together as a, as a group. I mean, obviously, you know, you were around the team there. Uh, we didn't have any. I mean, Marion was our superstar and he was a young 19, 18, 19, 20 year old kid. Um, so we're trying to build a team around one superstar with just a bunch of uh, players that, you know, everyone's got their old their story about why they were in the minors or why you were over in Switzerland, didn't get an opportunity. Well, that opportunity came for all of us with expansion. And uh, it was a it was an amazing um, time in my life. I played for 17 years, but those last you know, seven, eight years I played with the Wild were just very special for me and my wife and our family just to be able to stay in the same spot, know my kids were going to the same school. Um, we had a great team. We had a uh, we we had an unbelievable coach that made us play as a team. He kept everyone accountable. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously we caught lightning in a bottle there in 03 um, and we're able to knock off a t- couple top teams. And, um, and, uh, you know, I knew when we were playing the Canucks here in the qualifying round that that might come up a little more than little more than <laughs> once or twice here. But uh, so I've actually given it some thought a little bit more um, about how things played out 15 years ago. And the more I think about it, Mike, the more I I, uh, I get kind of disappointed that we the way things turned out, in, you know, in losing four straight to Anaheim. Mm-hmm. I just uh, you just you know how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup and the fact that you were down to the final four and we were playing an Anaheim team, to be honest with you, that we matched up pretty good with like very yep. similar teams. And, um, you know, obviously losing game one and out shooting them 41 to 25 and losing and probably should have beat them by five goals. That was a tough one to swallow. I look back and we outshot them in all four games and lost four games straight. And uh, it wasn't like we played terrible. Jaguar was on top of his game. And um, it was a fun run for our fans and fun run for every everybody. But uh me individually be able to come back from Switzerland and get an opportunity to finish my career playing in the National Hockey League was something when I went over to Switzerland I would never have dreamed of. I thought I was just going to ride off into the sunset, finish my career over in Switzerland. No one will ever heard of me. So I will forever be grateful for the for the Wild just giving you that opportunity to get back and play in the National Hockey League. When you look back at the Anaheim series in particular, how much do you think the byproduct of that sweep was maybe fatigue that happened with having to rally back from three one twice, I mean, especially that Vancouver series. Like I look at the dates, you guys play. You guys play at home on May seventh, in Vancouver on May eighth, game seven. Then you have to fly home and play Anaheim, starting the Western Conference Final in an afternoon game. On I didn't the realize 10. it was that goofy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so back to back Minnesota Vancouver, which is not a short flight, no. and then you have to come home and start the conference final. And then, you, as you say, it's like you throw everything at yeah. the Ducks, and then you lose that game. It had to be just emotionally exhausting, as a, as well as being a team that was physically exhausted from having to rally back twice in seven-game series. Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I go back, you know, going back into that locker room after losing game one and, and double overtime, there was a different feeling in that locker room after losing that game because – I got to be honest, Mike. I mean, we never, we won a lot of games, but we didn't slap teams around. Mm-hmm. You know, if we won a game, yeah. we if we got a, a goal up on you halfway through the game or whatever, we could choke you out. We were good. <laughs> we were good defensively, one of the top teams, but we weren't slapping teams around. Mike, we slapped around the Ducks the, that whole game and, lo- and lost that game. And, and the feeling back in the locker room was different than anything we felt. Uh, and I think, you know, we never talked about it, but we knew... I think the Ducks had swept their opponents, so they had like eight or nine or ten days off. So we knew that they were going to be rusty for game one. Uh, we knew that we probably had 
Uh, we were going to get a jump on them, you know, in, 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 in game one. We knew that they were going to probably get a little bit better as the series went on. And that's exactly, you know, what happened. They started to play a little bit better. But I, I don't think it was a physical thing, Mike. I think we were getting down one nothing. We were so emotionally spent and burnt mm-hmm. out just because of the, the amount of focus that we needed being down three games to one to be able to climb out of those series and happen to get those wins that uh, was just a little bit too much to overcome. But to think you're eight games away from winning the Stanley Cup still doesn't sit very well with yeah, me. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you talked about you know, Jacques and how tight of a team you were. I don't know if you remember, I was just uh, I was just talking to Richard Park about this. Um, Brian Burke had a quote in that series, the GM of the Vancouver Canucks at the time, that said, they're not a hockey team, they're a cult. Did, did it did it sort of feel that way? I mean, it, it, and his, he meant it with, with adulation. Yeah. You know, like he meant it like the buy-in factor by you guys was so impressive. Yeah, and I, I read those quotes. I don't know if I read them during while he said it. I never was – I was not offended by that because I knew exactly what he meant. Um, and I wouldn't call it – like Jacques Lemaire's teams are cults. He's won Stanley Cups. I mean, I know exactly what he's saying. We played a very structured game. And um, I'll bet you anything if he looked back at his Vancouver Canuck team that he had that – that he was the general manager of, he, he wished there was more of a cult-like there because they were not – even close to as disciplined a team as we were mm-hmm. and it showed yeah and it and uh they 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 uh they took a lot of silly penalties they we knew that they we could get under their skin and they would yap at us and and um you know they had guys that would run around try to you know maddie cook and yarko rutu was trying to kill guys and, and even Bert <laughs> bertuzzi hadn't scored until game seven i mean he he had come out on he had basically come unglued like he, he was now he was trying to run around like a fourth line guy um, slamming, slamming their gates when they got back to the to, to the bench. So I know exactly what Berkey was saying, and uh, there's no ill will toward me. I know exactly what he was saying, but we we knew, um, you know, we were a good team, a very good team defensively. We had we knew we had to try to figure out a way in the playoffs to scratch out a few more goals here and there, and we could compete and be in the game late in the games. Um, I don't think we knew that we were going to knock off two of the top teams, but uh, but a big reason for our success was exactly what Brian talked about it and that was we all loved each other and we all played Mm -hmm. for each other and we had a a tight circle tight team and if anyone tried to go outside the the circle we had guys that were willing to grab guys on the shoulders on and pull them back in who were some of those guys Marion Marion (laughs) Gabrick we grabbed him a few times I know Jimmy Dowd and him Jimmy sat by him in the locker room uh, so he got to know Marion better than most and uh, you know there were times when Darbs or myself would go over and go Jimmy you better get him reeled in because he's (laughs) cheating you know trying to you know trying to cheat out of the zone and stuff and uh, um, so we had enough older older guys in the locker room that we could we could get Marion dialed in and and I think Marion learned a lot about how to be a uh, how to be a responsible player at a young age having to play for a jock because jock didn't care if you were 18 or you were 38. You had to play the same way. Mm-hmm. And um, so Marion was the one guy. We, we, you know, we had Sergey Zoltok. We had some skill guys too that were, you know, Cliffy Ronning was another guy that tried to cheat a little bit uh, and, and we would try to reel him in a little bit too. So there were a few guys always that that tried to go outside the culture, but we would always pull him back in and, and 
and we all loved each other, so it was all good. You're listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo to subscribe to The Athletic for 40% off, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Uh, now's the time to do it. You get a free trial with that, too, and with hockey coming back, uh, please uh, please join if you haven't given us a try yet. Um, if you don't remember that 2003 uh, playoff run, Marion Gabrick led the team in scoring. Uh, tied for second with Andrew Burnett was Wes Walls with seven goals and 13 points, but Wes was the uh, top scorer in that Vancouver series with five. Five goals and nine points, including the massive tying goal in the third period in game seven, where, you know, soon after you guys get a couple more and, and man, uh, it had to be one silent, silent, silent GM place. It was uh, the goal that I scored with about six, seven minutes left. Uh no, I might have scored eight, eight minutes, eight, into minutes the period. eight minutes into the period. Yep, so ten, I believe. Okay. Yep. So that was a really big goal to tie the game up. Yep. There was no goal bigger in that game than the goal that Pascal Dupuis scored with 30 seconds left at the end of that second period. Right. To get down, uh, to get us back to down two one. Right. I mean, because uh, I know Bertuzzi had scored on a breakaway to go up two two nothing. I think he might have come out of the penalty box and and got in behind our D men. It was the only goal that he scored in the period. Um. And, and the reason I remember that goal so vividly is because I was on the bench and uh, <laughs> in, in Burt-like fashion, I, I, he come by the bench after he did his uh, taps to his teammates and he said, I heard him under his breath say something about tea time or golfing or something like that uh, after it was 2 nothing, And I happened to look down the bench to see if anyone had heard what I heard. And I, Jimmy Dowd looked down at me. We didn't even say a word between each other. We just kind of shook our heads <laughs> at each other. But... Um, Pascal scored a big goal, uh, kind of on a broken play where the puck come up over top of the net yes. and Pascal like baseball swing yeah. and he pounded it right over Cloutier's shoulder to make it two one. That was a big goal. And then, uh, Darby scored a huge goal. Uh, by the way, we call Darby Henriksen, we called him money for a reason. That was his nickname in the uh -huh. locker room because he scored a lot of big goals for us, uh, especially in those playoff runs. And, and he ended up getting the game winner and, um, celebrating in that locker room was something I'll never forget. Watching Cliffy Ronning, who's from Vancouver, the Vancouver area, watching a 38-year-old man act like a 10-year-old kid with the music on before you guys all come into the locker room was, man, I wish I would have had my, well, we would have had cameras. That uh, was 15 years ago. If we would have had the cameras out, that would have been all over the internet. It would have been funny for everyone to watch. You know, the irony <laughs> of uh, Pascal scoring that big goal in Vancouver is in 2006, three years later, um, it came out like, and you were on that team. Uh, Pascal scored a big goal in the, I believe, second period in Vancouver that didn't count, and they didn't find it. It went over the line until like a minute after it went after play had resumed. And you guys was this, in, up, was this in Game Seven? No, no, this is in 2006. Oh, three years later, okay, just yeah. in the regular season. Okay, and then you guys wound up missing the playoffs by like a point, and, oh, the, and the Wild went. I don't, remember, that, I don't that, remember that. that. Essentially, you guys would have won that game. But it did go. It was it, a goal. Yeah, they they found the video. It was one of those hockey night in Canada's. They found the video over the goal line. It was against Luongo. Like a minute later, Tom Lynn still to this day says that you guys yeah, should have made. The I'm sure he's. I'm that. sure the NHL apologized for that. Yeah. Everything was good. You mentioned uh, Todd Bertuzzi. I mean, not only the, does he give you the tea time uh, line, but uh, you know the infamy about that series is that he saw that a bunch of uh, Wild fans buying tickets after game. Game six for for um, sorry for after 
would have been after, I guess, game four, five. No, no, sorry, you're right. Game four. Yep, four. Because they went up 3-1. Right, that, hey, you're not going to need, you're not, they're not coming back here yeah. for game so six. They, I think they yeah. practiced in our building yep. like the next day. Yeah. And I think they were probably practicing and then heading out to the bus yep. to go to the airport and they'd walk by a bunch of our season ticket holders. They said were, you're wasting time or something. Yeah, yeah. or you won't need the, you know, we won't be coming yeah. back or something like that. And, and uh, yeah, if that happened today, we would have found out about that within about 25 seconds yeah. someone would have tweeted, tweeted that it. out yeah. someone would have tweeted that out probably with video and audio of course it would have been <laughs> just it would have been something that would have been uh, something to behold but um that got back to our locker room i don't know how it happened yeah. but it did get back to our locker room and we were we were very aware of uh, of what was said and um not that it really you know gave us any more motivation to try to go into vancouver and extend the series like we you know we had been in that situation before we just we just knew that we wanted to go and we wanted to go into Vancouver and play a great game and see what happens. If it's enough, great. If it's not, we'll tip our hat and we'll shake their hands. And and we went in there and played probably the best game of the series that we played. I don't think, uh, you know, uh, Todd Bertuzzi beacon off really had anything to do with us playing the way we did. We knew the way Bert was. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked a lot on the ice and that was the one thing that, you know, I played against a lot of those guys, Medano, Sackick, Forsberg. I played all against those guys and, um, I, I would never used to somebody talking that much on the ice. So yeah. um, that's just the way he was. And uh, um, I always found the guys that, uh, you know, when guys would talk back to you, and you, I always felt like as a checking centerman, you usually kind of got them off their game a little bit. But uh, he was a great player. That line was unbelievable. I think Naslin fi- finished second in the league that year behind Forsberg in scoring. And then Bert, I was in the top five or whatever. That line was was absolutely amazing. But we, was it Brendan Morrison on the other one? Yeah, and I think he finished like tenth in the league yeah. in scoring. Uh, their he line, in the center on that line. Yeah, their line that line was was magnificent. But we knew that they had they did not want to play in their own zone. That was a big big reason why, but why my line uh, had a lot of success because they just cheated so much offensively mm-hmm. to try to score. There's so much pressure. They would get caught three below the goal line. Now all of a sudden, because we're in solid position defensively, I think I want to say like four, four of my five goals were probably like right off of the rush goals because they couldn't get back because we were in we were uh, uh, in outnumbered situations. So we knew if we were going to be good defensively against them, that that we could exploit them, and that's exactly how that series played out. Your wingers would have been. Oh, Michael, my wing, <laughs> my wingers at home were always the same two guys in that series. It would have been probably Laxo and Bruno. Uh-huh. But when we went into Vancouver and didn't have last change, everybody, you know, that's why the centermen, we didn't have last change. And this was the genius of, of Jacques Lemaire, right. Of making sure that we get the right, right guys on the ice mm-hmm. or, the, or the guys that he wanted on the ice. Mm-hmm. If, you know, we didn't have last change. So if we put my line out there and Morrison's line wasn't there, the other centermen that were on the bench knew I was coming. Just one guy. Right. So if I won the face-off, lost the face-off, I would race off the ice. And if you watch back in the video, like you see me, I probably skated 35 miles in that series just <laughs> on and off the ice, just getting on and off the ice. And so whoever would come out, maybe Darby would come out or Jimmy Dowd, uh-huh. and then I would go up with the next set of. So basically, when, when we were at home, we always played with the same set of lines. When we were on the road, there was basically sets of wingers, and all the centermen rotated with different guys, right. depending. And and, yeah. and that was the that was the genius of Jock of making sure that Willie and and I don't think the the D manny didn't care too much about. It. I know Willie and Kuba played a lot against them, but we had a lot of shifts with Schultz and and Zuzan out there against them too. But um, uh, I spent a lot of time playing against those guys, trying to get on and off the ice. And and uh, um, 
you know, it worked. I mentioned I'm t- I, I just talked to Richard Park for an hour. I'm talking to Berkey when you leave here. Um, uh, Thomas Drans from The Athletic and I are teaming up on a story looking back at that 3-1 series. And w- one thing Park said that was interesting is he he said that Colorado and Vancouver were the complete opposites from a respect standpoint. It's like you guys went into that Colorado series and you had all this utmost respect for the star power, the Haydukes, the Forsbergs, the Sackicks, the Waz, uh, and people like that were there. You just, that you loved, they were just such an easily hated team. They, they almost inspired you guys from that type of perspective. Um, you know, Root, Yarko Rutu and Brad May and Matt Cook. From, oh, yeah. And he said I from the coach Bra- on. I forgot about Brad yeah, May. Yeah. And from the coach on out, he said. And, and a great example in that series. And, and Richard said he was on the ice for it. Is five seconds left in game seven. Icing. Offensive zone draw for you guys. And Mark Crawford throws out Rutu, May, and Cook for the final faceoff. You guys, obviously, puck goes down. Nothing happens. Nothing but but the one interesting thing, Jacques Lemaire, Mike Ramsey, Mario Tremblay did not go and shake Mark Crawford's hand after that, ser- after that series. You know what? You told me this story here uh, four or five days ago, and it was the first time I had heard that story. I didn't, I didn't know that that had happened. We were probably so excited on the bench, we didn't care who they put out on the ice. <laughs> and... Um, um, but that doesn't really shock me. Did, did Jock and Mario, did they like any coaching staff? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, didn't, didn't, they hate, didn't they hate Hartley? Well, like, in, in 07, he didn't shake Randy Carlisle's series uh, hand after that series okay, either. And, and I know they, I know he hated Hartley. Yeah, that yeah. goes back to some Montreal uh, yeah. Montreal thing. I, I, yep, he I, definitely I never asked like about it because I didn't really care, but I yeah. know. So those our coaches hated everybody. <laughs> yeah. so. so this wasn't the biggest story. No, no. But, I mean, but that him, was... Him putting was, out those yep. tough guys and stuff, and yeah. uh, um, that was... That was nice of those uh, of those five guys. If that did happen, you know, Brad May and, and cooking those guys it, that they didn't just drop their gloves and start fighting. That's yeah. nice they did that. We we had another series to play. We'd have lost probably four. four. We'd have to call some guys up from the minors and stuff. So, um, at that Richard point, Park probably looked up. He's like, "What am I doing out here?" Yeah, here? So. I was probably the most excited guy. I didn't have to go out in the ice. <laughs> um, well, any other parts of that series that you remember that might have been turning points? Because it's, it's just a fascinating series. Because while you look at that Colorado series and there are all these like pivotal moments, right? You know, Bruno ending Patrick Waugh's career and, and Richard Park's overtime winner. That one was an interesting series because there were a couple big time routes um, in, in that series as well going into game seven. Yeah, they were they were a really like a weird team. Um, uh I got the impression, to be perfectly honest with you, that that Colorado gave us more respect than Vancouver did, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's why Vancouver, like when they went up three one, I think they just kind of thought, oh, they're, the Wild are just going to roll over, and that's why we blew them out twice in a mm-hmm. row because they thought we were just going to go away. I think that was a respect thing. Um, I shouldn't say that. Colorado, I think we got their attention in game one when we went in there and beat them. Like I don't think going into the series they were like, oh wait. I, I remember the last day of the regular season, Michael, mm-hmm. the only team, and I remember being at, at the St. Paul Hotel, I was with Parksy and his wife and Jimmy Dowd and Darbs was probably there with his wife and we were all hanging out over there and I remember being in the restroom and I asked, I asked actually Parksy, I said, who's the one team you don't want to play in the first round? And he told me, call, he, probably, he goes, probably Colorado and I said, yeah, I, I agree with that. And the last game of the season for the Vancouver Canucks was an afternoon game and they had to beat... L.A., like who was putrid at home to play the wild. If they win that game, they play the wild in the first round. They got mm-hmm. they got they lost two nothing at home. So 
they didn't hook the Minnesota Wild, and we got the Colorado Avalanche, and uh, um, you know we were. We were all a little disappointed. We would have rather played Vancouver in the first round than Colorado, but it worked out that way, and, um, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, uh, so Darby, uh, Minnesota's own, scores the big goal in that yeah. series yeah. Uh, after after your goal uh, with 5-12 left. And then, as you mentioned, silly penalties, uh, almost yeah, was karma. Cup- Bertuzzi takes, ran, ran uh, Rolison. Oh, that's right, And too. takes a penalty, puts it in the box, and Dupuy ices the game. See, there you go. Yeah. I mean – Actually, I, uh, you'd have to look back through the box scores, Mike. I think we scored about eight to ten power play goals in those seven games. Like, I mean, it was ridiculous. Our power play just beat them up. Mm-hmm. And, and we knew going into this, we did, we talked about this. We have to be more disciplined than this, them. We will get a, we will get an extra power play or two a game. And we, and we didn't talk about that. We have to cash in. But we knew that discipline was going to be a very important r- reason why we beat the uh, – Vancouver Canucks, if we are good enough, even if we are fortunate enough to get by them, and and you know that happened to play out. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Uh, to subscribe to the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash/straight-from-the-source. That'll get you in for forty percent off. Not not only uh, articles uh, all over the website. Um, we cover this uh, the NHL in particular to death, especially with the return to play. We're gonna have so many Canadian writers up in the hubs as well um but there's podcasts everywhere uh, rick dudley my old buddy from florida is uh, craig custance's guest this week on the full 60 at the athletic mike zeisberger from nhl.com and jeff rimmer one of my best friends in the world uh the voice of the columbus blue jackets is on with aaron uh portsline on front and nationwide at the athletic this week and then ray ferraro is joining jonas siegel and james myrtle on the leaf report and by the way if you ever want to subscribe to the athletic the athletic.com slash podcast ads you can go there fill out a little form say who you want to uh subscribe on and you can go there and here's a first word from one of our sponsors Grab your peanuts and popcorn. Baseball is back. That's right. The boys will be getting back out onto the diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them at the park, there is plenty of action to be had from the comfort of your home. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a shot to play risk-free for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy baseball is easy to play. Just pick 10 players, stand under the salary cap, and pile up points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. There's no better way to put your baseball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if baseball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this weekend's tournament. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Back here with Wes Walls. Uh, so we talked uh, a lot about that series. Let's talk about this upcoming qualifying round against uh, yeah. against the Vancouver Canucks. As I mentioned, Wes, um, you, you know, as part of your role with Fox Sports North, you're going to be calling games, first of all, from a very odd location, uh, XL Energy Center, uh, off a of TV, um, what is that going to be like? Well, I, I don't know. It's going to be weird. It's going to be different. Uh, don't know really what to ex- expect. Uh, it sounds like we're going to be calling the games from monitors. or uh, I, I've also heard potentially maybe the Jumbotron uh, might be another option yep. and, and being actually in the concourse. Uh, looking at a bigger TV would be much better, but it's uh, 
you know, as an analyst, not being able to, you know, to be in the press box and overlook the ice and see the whole ice surface, how plays develop, what's going on on the bench, the, the uh, yapping back and forth is, is going to be, uh, it's going to be different for sure. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, so we'll, 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 we'll grind our way through it. We'll see how it all, how it all looks, uh, and, and try to do our best. Uh, you know, I know Karts is just, he's been new doing this too. And I've, I'm pretty new doing this. I, I know he, you know, when he, he joined us last year and started doing games, he just assumed that, you know, because I've done pre and post for six, seven, eight years that, that I'd be able to jump into the broadcast upstairs. Totally and, different. And, yeah, it is completely different. So I told Karts, I go, bud, you got way more, you have more reps than I do in the, in the booth. <laughs> I should be asking you for advice. But, um, uh, so, but, but that's, it's been, uh, the broadcasting stuff has been, uh, has been interesting. It's been fun. I've, I really enjoyed my time up there. Um, I heard Karts uh, during your podcast. And by the way, I was up in Canada for five or six weeks and uh, I, I listen to quite a few of your podcasts, and I listen to a lot of pod- podcasts when I'm getting my workouts in on my step mill and stuff. And and your podcasts are, are great. And I enjoy I listening it. to them. And actually, Ryan Brian brought up a, a great point about trying to get better and, and watching yourself on television. And and I when Ryan was talking about that, I was thinking to myself, you know, I watch myself too, but I hate watching myself. Yeah. Uh, but I think it is important to to go back and and kind of critique yourself uh, so you can try to get better um getting in and out of the play as a hockey broadcaster is is much more difficult i think than than for football analysts or you know baseball analysts have a chance i mean they can tell a story their games are three and a half hours long ours are 220 um the analysts in football you got a play that's going to last seven eight twelve seconds now you've got 15 seconds to talk about it then the announcer can set up the next play it's kind of very rhythm like hockey is completely different because you know you see something on the ice that you want to talk about. Now you're waiting for an opportunity to fit it in and you might only have six or seven seconds and you think, and then all of a sudden a loose puck, will, you'll be happy to your thought yeah. and a loose puck pops out in the slot and you got to kind of stop mid, 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 you know, while Anthony's, you know, talking about a great opportunity. So there's a lot going on. That's uh, taking Plus, some, getting used you know, to. the fans at home don't know. Yeah. The, playback button and talking to the oh, producer yeah. and they're talking in your ear and you got to tell them replays to set up. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on yeah. that they, that the average fan never, ever. Well, you sees. know, I mean, you know enough now just because you've been up there yeah. and, and do enough interviews in pregame and, and postgame, uh, mostly pregame, but that, but you understand that there, there's, there's a lot more that goes into it than just, uh, you know, s- sitting in front of a camera, but I enjoy it. I, I, I want to get better at it. Um, I know enough to know this, that if you don't, if you don't work at your at your trade, it doesn't matter what it is. You're not going to get better. You're not going to get better. And we and I know Ryan feels the exact same way. So we're going to continue to get better as we move through this uh, whole situation. Pre and post is something I've done for seven eight years. I actually really enjoy that too. I almost feel like I I really like to teach. I mean, my, my for me as an analyst, my bigger thing is just to try to share at home with people uh like if i put on my coaching hat and i get a chance to go and watch the vancouver canucks like i was i watched probably their last four i watched their last three and a half games this morning just Mm -hmm. to go back look at their tendencies like i'm already excited about showing their power play tendencies their face-off tendencies you know markstrom's maybe got a hitch in his game uh that the wild could potentially exploit Mm -hmm. uh you know as the series goes on so i that kind of stuff i really enjoy uh 
talking to the people about things to look for going into a game. And then post game is always exciting because you just don't know how it's all going to play out, who you're yeah. going to get interviewed, how the game's going to play out. But I enjoy both. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, like I said, I'm just like Ryan, we're just uh, continuing to grind away and, uh, and continue to get better. So let's talk about the, uh, knuckle heads. Okay. Um, well, let's start with the, I mean, the intriguing thing, if you want, I don't want to make you, uh, give away your scoop, but what is the hitch that maybe the wild could, uh, uh, try to explain i don't know man you're gonna have to watch the, <laughs> hey you're gonna have to watch the pregame show you're gonna have to watch the pregame athletic show. exclusive by west wall that's it no you're gonna have to watch the pregame show but <laughs> hey there ain't many hitches to that guy's game. he is he's he's coming into free agency at a very very good time and they got a huge decision well you said that. very very good time i'm not sure there's going to be quite as much money out there as there would have yeah been that's a good point so yes he's coming into his free agency uh, time, but I, I'm I'm still not sure. It wouldn't be smart for him just to lock himself into a two-year yeah. deal or something like that and see what's yeah. see what's out there. Well, it's now. interesting because they got they've got a decision to make because you know you got Demko behind the scenes and obviously uh, Markstrom wants a long-term deal. Yeah. He's in his 30s and. All of a sudden, you give him too many years, and you might have to trade Demko, so yeah. they might have to let Markson go. Well, and the other thing too is, and you know, our summer place is about three hours from from Vancouver, and I was back in Canada for for five or six weeks, and I listened. I probably know more about the Vancouver Canucks right now <laughs> than I do about the Wild, to be honest with you. Um, and there were some rumors that were kind of uh, shot out there from from one of the reporters there in Vancouver. I can't remember the name, but. Uh, about Brock Besser potentially being moved. Yeah, Sekrash. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the, yep. the timing of it is was terrible. I think, you know, whether or not that is true, I know mm -hmm. the, the general manager came out and denied it, but of course he's going to deny it. Yep. But if you look at the dollars and cents of the Vancouver Canucks and, and, and going forward, I mean, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. It's just the math doesn't work if they want to keep Markstrom and some of these other guys, Toffoli, um, in the mix. Uh, one of these right-handed shots, whether it's Toffoli or Brock Besser, someone's probably going to have to to leave. And if the cap number does, doesn't go up, Mike, you're going to see a lot of teams are going to have some tough decisions to make here over the next couple of years. So I look at the Canucks. I mean, top six, very, yeah. very talented. Yeah. Bottom six, I feel like the Wild um, have the upper hand. Uh, blue line, other than Quinn Hughes, I feel like it's the Wild blue line is by far the best. Um, and then goaltending, I think they have the edge. Um, if, if you could avoid trading chances with them, is that the way the wild can win the series? Uh, so in other words, four check yeah. the heck out of them. I, the similarities of, in my opinion, it's funny. We were talking about Oh three, the similarities about how the wild right now have to play against the Canucks are very similar. Mm -hmm. Like you got to play for me. They've got a young team that, that can, can really skate, um, they from from watching their games back and looking at the the raw numbers over the 70 games or whatever like they are not a great defensive team and if the Minnesota Wild can force their team to have to play defense and when i say that that means hang on to pucks in the offensive zone even if you don't like no hope no hope passes out to the front of the net make them spend extended zone time in the offensive zone eventually a breakdown will happen now it's up to you to make sure that you convert and uh, and so that's that really is going to be one of the things i'm going to be looking at the goaltender situation i mean it's been you know well documented uh you know the goaltending situation for the for the wild i know alex Daylock has played outstanding here the mm -hmm. last uh you know 11 12 games taking over for for doobie who's obviously had a lot going on this season with his family and things like that but um I agree with you going into the series that Mar Markstrom is uh, is a top-notch goalie. 
And um, so they probably got the nod there. The depth for the Minnesota Wild. I'm not sure in a five-game series how much depth is going to really play a role. I, like I think in a shorter series as a coach, I don't know, maybe you don't play your fourth line quite as much as you otherwise yeah. would. Uh, I don't know. Like if I'm if I'm Dean Evison, though, I'm going to try to figure out a way to get my, like my fourth line out against their fourth line because I think we have the advantage there. But if we put out our fourth line and they start coming back with their first line against our fourth line, then Dean and his coaching staff are going to have some decisions to make. Right. Do you, do you understand what I'm yep, saying, Mike? Exactly. Yeah. And, in, so, and in the series, again, the – In the first two Vancou games, Vancouver's going to have home ice. Yep. So Dean will know kind of the way Travis is going to want to, you mm -hmm. know, take advantage of that potentially. Um, but the good, the good thing about the Minnesota Wilds' fourth line is you got some guy named Miko Koivu who knows, who knows his way around uh, – his defensive zone and and to be honest with you if they want to play if the Vancouver Canucks want to play three lines and try to get their top two lines out there against the fourth line against Miko's line I have no problem with that because I for me I know if we continue to roll four lines I know as this series goes on especially having not played for four months and to play five games in eight days if we play four lines if our fourth line has played 11 minutes and your fourth line has played five minutes, that means everyone else's forwards have played 20, 21, 22 minutes. I know it's advantage wild later in this series. You just got to hope you don't get swept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You got to hope you don't get swept. And if this series goes to five mm -hmm. or four or five, it's going to start to tilt. But so that the depth of the wild is something I don't think they can get away from that. I think yeah. that still has to be who they are, Mike. So, uh, you know, the one thing that Carter said last week that I that I never occurred to me that I've talked to Felino about actually immediately after I, I had a call Felino for a story and I, I threw this at him and he actually agreed with it is that really the third and fourth lines could potentially be nullified with no fans in the crowd because that big hit that you would get from a big Marcus Felino hit that might churn a game, it'd be very hard to get that same sort of momentum because there's no crowd chant, you know, going crazy in the stands. Does that, do you concur with, with uh, Carter's opinion there? And, and if that's the case, do you have to actually then think about, you know, maybe throwing, you know, uh, a Felino on that fourth line, not giving, not putting him in that position where he's going to play with Galchenyuk and Zuccarello? Uh, I agree. That's a lot. I threw straight. No, it's okay. But I th I agree with what Ryan said a hundred percent. Um, and I and it's it's interesting that you you mentioned that uh, the uh the the Vancouver Canucks were playing Columbus their second last game of the season at home against Columbus. Big game for the Vancouver Canucks. They're down two nothing with about ten minutes left in the game, and Elias Patterson scores on a breakaway coming out of the penalty box to make it two one. And they're down 2-1 in a big game the last 10 minutes. The crowd is going crazy. The Canucks are all over them the rest of the game. The fans are going nuts. They had two, they drew two power plays because the Canucks were just all over them. So that momentum from the building is is not going to be there That is that normally is there. Um, should you change your game if you're Marcus Foligno? No damn way. Mm -hmm. I only know one way to play the game, right. and I'm going to try to run you through the, through the wall. And it, it's funny you brought up Marcus's name because – I did a couple interviews back in Van in Vancouver here over the last five or six weeks too, and and one of the common themes was Mar actually Marcus Foligno's name come up quite a bit. They they're scared of him. Like I mean, I don't know if you remember the game that we beat them here four one. 
He fought the McEwen kid. He steamrolled Fattenberg. Like he he blew up about seven guys uh, in that game. Um, he had a really big effect in, in in the Wild winning that game. So, um, and I know you'd you'd reach out to Marcus and he agreed with what had Karts had said, and I agree with that too. But I I think Marcus or anybody that plays a physical game would be foolish to to try to change their game. And and I think as the series and as the playoffs go on, Mike, I I think uh, the crowd the the lack of crowd noise is is going to really affect the game less and less as we move through the playoffs yeah. to be perfectly honest with you. Um let me ask you you've you you said that you've been pre-scouting them. I mean I think all wild fans know how dangerous guys like Brock Besser and Pedersen are, JT Miller, Bo Horvat, Quinn Hughes. Um anybody that you when you watch that team that you say man wild fans are going to learn how good that player is or he's going to be a thorn in the wild side? JT Miller. Yeah. He was the best player on the ice when the Wild played there in the last game. Um, and you never know, Mike, where guys' games are going to be after having four and a half months off. But the games that I just watched at the end of the season, JT Miller was the best player for the Canucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and Pedersen was playing as well. And he's a special player. Elias Pedersen is a special player. He can score. He can pass. And he's not a big guy. But I was really surprised by how much time he spends in the paint like he he scores many mm-hmm. different ways he's not just standing off yes. to the side um so i gotta give that guy a lot of credit but the the guy that makes that line go is jt miller i mean he is a, a special player such a it's hard to explain just a very well-rounded game he's got a lot of compete to his game he plays the puck he's got compete he plays hard he wins face-offs he's just he looks like a playoff player. Yeah. Like he looks like a guy that when you see him play, well, that guy's going to the finals every year, just the, the way he plays. So if I had to pick one guy um, that stand, stood out to me, really, it was it would probably be um, JT Miller. And obviously yep. Brock, we all know, is from Burnsville. Brock Besser um, playing against Minnesota. It's going to be exciting for him. Uh, he only had one game back. at the, the last game against the Islanders was his only game back after having a month off. So we don't know exactly where his game is going to be. Um, and... Um, so but I'm it is sure interesting what you said about Miller because, you know, he was, you know, I was talking to Zuccarello a little bit about this when we were in Edmonton after yeah. playing in Vancouver. Um, but but I think when you're in this conference, even as a beat writer, you don't watch a ton of Rangers in Tampa Bay Lightning. So it's like it's like when I watched him play the Wild at the end of February, uh, you know, I realized how much of a game changer that acquisition from Jim Benning was to bring yeah. Miller there that I did not realize at the time. Well, they did a great job of 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 figuring out that JT Miller had a lot of game and was stuck behind a lot of great players yep. in Tampa. Um, he wasn't the the go to guy there. You've got Stamkos and Kucherov, and you got to try to figure out can this guy even elevate his game from where he's at when he was playing in Tampa? Does he have another level? And they took a chance on him. Um, they probably did their homework on on his character and compete. And I heard he's an unbelievable locker room guy, and his players, his teammates, all look up to him. So they took a chance on him, and his, his, was his game has really, really yeah. flourished, and it's been great for their organization. JT Miller had never scored more than 22 goals in 82 games with the Rangers. That last year was in 2017. This year, in 69 games, 27 goals and 72 points. Absolutely blew his uh, career point total of 56 out of the water yeah. at, in 13 fewer games. Um, and again, a more than a point of game player. So the Wild have to pay attention to him. Yeah, and I think uh, he, I think he was like a top five faceoff guy yeah. too. So always. you might see a lot of. I, I would think the 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 matchup that Dean will attempt to get is Erickson Eck against him. And man, Erickson Eck in camp 
uh, I just can't believe this guy just came off a 14 day quarantine because because, again, you know, I know that that guys like Brodine and Eric Fiala had been skating a lot more than all these guys in North America because they were in Sweden. Sweden never closed down. Yeah. But then they got to Minnesota and Minnesota has a state law where if you fly internationally via a commercial airline, you got a quarantine for 14 days. Well, the wild made sure they abided by that. Mm-hmm. And just watching Eric in camp, he is not missed a beat. I mean, he is. I thought he was awesome in that uh, in that uh, scrimmage Saturday. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, Kevin Fiala was the best player on the yeah. ice, but Erickson Eck, his um, what I love the most about that kid is, and I and I do think that this is going to be one of the most important things going into Game One. And Erickson Eck brought that in that scrimmage, like he's already pissing guys off. Yeah. Like already, like he's he's already taken his game to another level. And I know guys are out there scrimmaging, and you don't want to hit anyone and and do anything. But he only knows how to play one way. Yeah. He he uh, he's focused every time he comes on the on the ice. And and for me, the the players that can uh, that can get that edge to their game, that can get that fight and compete and snarl on for game one, mm-hmm. whoever. Whichever team gets there earlier has a better chance of being up game one, one nothing. And I'm and obviously in a five game series, I don't know what the numbers are, but if you can get game one, I'm I'm assuming it's about 70 percent that you're going to win the series. So having a snarl on going into the playoffs, and that's why it's going to be really interesting to to me to see how Dean um, works his way through training camp uh, here over the rest of the uh, of the of the playoffs to ramp things up to make sure that they, the the wild got some snarl on um, before they head up to Edmonton but I agree with you Eric Sinek. he's um, he well obviously what do they call him? Mr September right yeah that's right a, that's, his, uh, that's his nickname <laughs> now Mr. July hey by the way when I heard that I mean we had a few practical jokers in our locker room and, and I was quietly one of them too and uh, that that was beautiful when I heard when I heard that that was just super. <laughs> one of my fa- I won't say the player unless you want to, but my, one of my favorite things that you told me about a player that used to play for the Wild, one of their young guys, is that in the um, in the uh, player lounge that you took his nameplate and you put it on the back of the couch. <laughs> That's a bad rumor. Yeah. No, it's not a bad rumor. Who was that? Was uh, was that Shepard, right? No, that was uh, Benoit Pouliot. Oh, Benoit Pouliot, yeah. Well, I could have put Shepard's, uh, James Shepard, right beside it. <laughs> I could have put both of them on there on the, on the couch, and they could have played Nintendo together. But, <laughs> yeah, you know what it's like. The young kids, they don't quite understand. But uh, I guess when I was 30, when I was probably 19, 20 years old, I, I probably would have not been any different. But, you know, when you're 30 years old and you walk through the locker room and you you, you look into the room there and you see those guys on then you're headed down to the other room to work out to get ready for practice and you see them with their feet up on the couch it it always kind of pissed me yeah. off but uh um, my favorite james shepherd story is when he said that he was really excited to be coached by todd richards because he played the game <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and, and, and brunette had to like go over to him like hey uh you do realize that jacques lemaire is in the hall of fame right oh my gosh yeah, yeah. well that would that doesn't surprise me actually my second favorite james shepherd story is a jacques story about you 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 know the story I'm talking about? Was it when I was on a treadmill after yes. a game? So that was probably Tremblay. Was that Jacques? No, or? it was it was so it was Jacques. Okay. Jacques told the story in a post game presser. He was so ticked off. You were after a game where you were the number one center skating twenty mm-hmm. minutes or whatever. You went around the treadmill, and according to Jacques, James Shepard is watching TV, sitting on the floor in the in the gym eating like ice cream, and uh, and he goes in to tell Mario. He goes. And he was so pissed off. He goes, and Mario's like, just give it a rest, give it a rest. He goes, no, I got to go say something. And he went and and basically confronted James Shepard in front of you saying, 
look at the veteran right now on a treadmill after the game and you're eating ice cream. And then he came and told the media this. Jeez, John, so, that's unbelievable. Well, listen, yeah. um, when I was their age, I walked into locker rooms with uh, uh, with Ray Bork and Don Sweeney and and and. I was in Detroit for a short period of time and watched Steve Eiserman on the bike after games, Sergei Fedorov on the bike after games. Um, that's where I learned all that from. And, um, you know, we, you know, I, I, I joke around about James Shepard and, and Benoit Pouliot and guys like that. I joke around about that, but I mean, we, we cared a lot. The, the guys that were the older guys in our locker room, we tried everything I could. Kyle Wanvig, we, we did everything to try to bring these kids along because mm-hmm. that was our job. We felt obligated to do it. We needed these guys to help us be a better yeah. team because we weren't as skilled as these guys. Like Benoit Pouliot, the skill level he had was ridiculous, and we tried to you know, bring that out of him. And um, you know, think about it. They're eating ice cream. They're out of the league. What is James Shepard doing now? Benoit Pouliot, are they even in the league anymore? Yeah. So that, that it all kind of goes together. The ice cream and out of the league goes together. <laughs> that kind of goes together. I'm looking it up real quick. Real quick. Actually, I think I can... Benoit Pouliot might still yeah. be in the, in the league. You brought up uh, Kyle Wanvig. He was actually one of my favorite players that I covered in the wild. And it was very, very briefly, but do you remember when we were in Philly and he got Jacques fine 10 grand? I do. Uh, how did that story go? It again? was in yeah. Pittsburgh. And he, oh, he uh, jumped he, off the bench. Yeah, he, to... inst- he instigated a fight in the last five minutes. five minutes. I'm trying to look up who he fought. And the next day, I had a like, I had to, I remember writing about, yep, here we go. Um, uh, so it was December 9th, 05. Um, Jock was out 10 grand. <laughs> he was ticked. Sorry, I think we were in Toronto. No, no, it was against Pittsburgh. Brooks Orpic. Oh, so, um, so he, he gets the instigating fight, and they had just put in this rule okay. um, that year. And he instigates a fight in the last five minutes, and the way it goes is that the player gets suspended one game, and the coach ten grand if it's not rescinded by the league, and the league did not rescind it. So we get to Philly, and you guys are practicing at the Spectrum, the old Spectrum, and we walk in there, and Jock had not been told yet that he was about to be fined ten grand, and man, was he pissed! Can you check the transactions to see if he went down the next day? Or did not play a lot of games with the Minnesota Wild after that. It's funny you brought Um, up his. his, He brought up his name because he was kind of a Western Hockey League guy, and uh, I I remember sitting in the in the sauna with 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 Kyle Wanvik having a conversation with him. He's trying to figure out how to play in the league and stuff, and he hadn't done anything and hadn't been working out hard enough. And and for me, I just told him, I, I wish when I was your age, Kyle that someone would have told me that you're two games away from being out of the league. Like, and I, I was no different when I was his age. Yeah. Um, and I told him, I said, you got to bring more, bud. Uh, you just have to do more. You have to bring more. I don't know if it's fighting right now, but you gotta, you've got to get noticed. You can't just go through a game, play 13 minutes, and nobody knows that you played the game. I mean, mm-hmm. you're fighting for your life right now, bud. Trust me from my experience. And, and um, so maybe that was a reason why he went out and chased Orpa Cross. <laughs> hey, sorry, Jock. <laughs> you, owe, you owe Jock 10 grand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I remember that. Uh, you know, that, that seemed to be, it's funny because, you, you know, you were young at that point, but you were still a veteran in this. Yeah, and, I was yeah, 30. I mean, like, yeah. I, wasn't, I, mean, I wasn't that young. I, I was yeah. 31, probably 32. Yeah. And for, I mean, but you, you learned a lot, I remember, early in your career in Boston because you were you were a top draft pick for, for the Bruins. You came there ready to strut your stuff and you had to you you're one of the rare players that actually went to Europe and came back a lot of times if you leave the NHL to go to Europe you're done it's over and and I understood that and when I made that decision when I was 26 I understood that that 
I was prepared to go over to go over there and 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 finish my career over in in Europe. But I was fortunate enough, as the, like I mentioned earlier, the the NHL expanded. I got a chance to to, to come back. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it's it's interesting how how everybody's career kind of kind of plays out. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, tons of Twitter questions from you. Let me try to breeze through some of okay. them. I've already taken so much of your time. Oh no, we, uh, this is fun. Uh, Brandon Gonzalez. Let's see. He has a bunch of questions. Let me see if I can grab one of them. Um, well, here, he just asked, uh, you know, about Kakinen. I mean, you've gotten to see Kakinen a little bit now with the Wild five games. You've gotten to see him a, a week in the training camp. Yeah. Do you, do you see him as a future number one? Do you see him having that ability? Um, I haven't watched it. I honestly I haven't stuck around for the B guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 we watched the, the, the A-team uh, practice and play their games, and um, and I left after the second period during the scrimmage the other day, so I didn't see Capo play, but um, – I mean, I, I don't know enough yet. He's only played five National Hockey League games. Uh, I love his resume. I mean, being the top goalie in the American Hockey League, I mean, if you look at some of the goalies over the years that have gone on to, to have that beside their name, a lot of those goalies have gone on to, to play um, illustrious careers in the National Hockey League. But um, I don't know. I don't. Know. I really don't know how to answer that question. I'm not sure exactly what we have. You know, it, it's nice to have that bullet in your, in your chamber like I don't know how this is all going to play out in game like who knows maybe Alex Daylock gets game one we lose he struggles gives up four or five goals and like come back with Doobie I mean Doobie does struggles like I don't know like is Capo in the mix if we go down two games to, to none I don't know so mm-hmm. Capo's got to make sure that he just stays on top of his game and and uh, takes care of his business and and um, in my opinion if we see Capo Kakinen in net, it's not going to be a good scenario for the Wild. We right. need we need Alex or Devin to step up and 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 give us average to above average goaltending if we want to have any chance to to to, to play for a while. Uh, Dylan Lux, uh, who's a aspiring sports writer for I think Gunpuck Wild, uh, asks uh, Walsey, uh, you were a big factor being a dynamite Avs team in the 2003 playoffs. What was the message towards stopping two-star players like Forsberg and Sackett? Do you think the Wild can use the same game plan to defeat the Canucks with Pedersen and Miller? Um, I think the the uh, the game plan going into beating the Canucks is is similar. Like, I mean, Elias Patterson is playing in Vancouver, plays a lot of West Coast games. A lot of the people around the National Hockey League, I'm telling you, Mike, don't understand how good this player is. I mean, he is a special player. He really is a special player. An amazing passer. A guy, I believe, over the last two years, he's played two years in the league, I believe he has the best shooting percentage in the NHL over two years. I could be wrong. He could be second or third. But he, you don't have to ask him twice to shoot. And if he shoots, there's a good chance it's going in. And he's smart enough to make the right play. And from watching more of the Canucks games here over the last couple of days, I didn't realize he competed that hard. And um, and as he gets a little bit bigger and stronger, he's gonna he's gonna fill out a little bit more. But um, I would I would agree with him. That has to be the focal point. You know, five on five play especially. Try to keep him and Miller off the board as much as as much as they can. That's an that's an obvious answer. You've always got to mm-hmm. shut down the other team's top lines. When you don't have last change, I think with the balance of the Minnesota Wilds four lines, I don't think that Dean Evison was going to have to do what Jock Lemaire did back in 03 about trying to get guys on and off the ice because we just didn't have the depth that this wild team does, in my opinion. Uh, I love this Twitter name. Belly rubs for pups. Oh. Yes. Um, who is the hardest checker you ever played against in the NHL? Hardest checker? Uh, you know, uh, 
probably one of the biggest hitters was actually he played for the Minnesota Wild too. And I know he was a guy that kind of ran around a little bit, but Mm -hmm. Matt Cook, uh, um, Matt Cook was a guy that could really hit. He was, uh, he he was very powerful in his lower body. He knew how to hit. Uh, I played against Scott Stevens when he was in New Jersey. (laughs) Um, One of the last things I remember the early part of my career, walking out of locker rooms in the early part of my career, I still remember the last – anytime we played New Jersey, one of the last things you'd say out of the locker room is just make sure you got your head up when you're coming across the blue line because he ended quite a few guys' careers, um, uh, Scotty Stevens over the years. So I, I would probably say Scotty Stevens. Yeah. Jason Patrick asked if you could talk about your coaching experience with Tampa Bay and what happened there. Do you want to talk about your coaching experience in Tampa Bay? Uh, yeah, I have no problem yeah. with that. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, assistant, you were working for, with uh, with um, Rick Tockett. Yeah, well, Barry Melrose. Yeah, for Barry Melrose for for how 16 long? Sixteen games. Sixteen games, and then Rick Tockett, Brian Lawton was the GM. Yeah, it was an it was an amazing experience. I had a uh, I had a three year contract to go there. We had to uproot our family to go coach in Tampa, and I won't bore everybody with the details, but. Um, Barry Melrose was the head coach for 16 games, and he got fired. Then Rick Tockett was the assistant coach. Um, he got hired as the head coach 16 games into the season. I stayed on as an assistant coach. Rick Wilson was also there, who was also an assistant coach with the uh, with the Minnesota Wild here. Salt of the earth guy, awesome guy. I love Rick Wilson. And also Adam Oates came in, um, one of Rick uh, Tockett's good buddies there. So um, I, I – I really enjoyed my time coaching in Tampa. I had a chance to to work with uh, some of the young guys. Steven Stamkos, uh, his first year, really first half of his first year, really struggled. And I know you had mentioned, you know, my my first year in Boston, I was this high draft pick. I wasn't even a high draft pick. I was a third-round draft pick. Actually, I got drafted in Bloomington. 58, um, right? 58. Uh, 57th, 57th overall. Yeah. I got drafted in the third round, but I got paid like a first-rounder. I was the first... Uh, this is this is my my claim to fame. I was the first ever Boston Bruin player to get a one way contract. His first contract. Wow. Ray Bork never that never happened to Bobby That's or anybody. Crazy. Yeah. And then Joe Juno got one a couple years later or something. But because my <laughs> name always would come up in the newspaper. Well, we don't want to make any mistakes like we did with Walls. <laughs> <laughs> I'd always get text messages from my buddies in Minnesota. Oh, you're back in the paper again <laughs> because Juno wants a one way. Um, but uh, um. I, I lost my train of thought there. What were we talking? What you was were, this question again? Uh, uh, just about um, about uh, Tampa, and you were talking about Stamkos. Yeah, yeah. So I had a chance to work with with uh, Stephen. Struggled his first half of his first year, and he was getting frustrated. There was talk, you know, Barry wanted to send him back to junior his first year, and that was all with between the owners and stuff. That was just crazy talk. And <clears throat> Len Barry and Orrin Coolis were the, were the, were the yeah. And uh, so actually, Rick Talk had asked me. He said, Wes can you work with Steven just exclusively? I don't want anyone else talking to him. Basically is what he told me because you were a centerman when you played, you could skate like Steven. And so I started doing video and started working with Steven. And I I talked to him about slowing his game down, which is kind of, I went back to a lot of the things that Jock said to me when I came back from Switzerland, when I first come back, I was, I just wanted to get noticed so, so much. Like I was flying around the ice and I don't know if you were training camp and stuff, but uh, it was first year. I was just, I wanted to get noticed and fly around then Jock would just tell me to slow down, keep the game in front of you. You have enough speed. You don't have to cheat anywhere. Mm-hmm. Other guys that can't cheat, Walsey, have to cheat. You don't have to cheat. And so I talked to Steven about making sure that you just keep the game in front of you. Like he was still playing like he was in junior. And all of a sudden, he, he stayed behind the puck a lot more, slowed his skating down. Now all of a sudden, he was skating onto loose pucks, and he would be able to come up with loose pucks. Now he was handling the puck more during the games, 
And then his confidence started to grow because he was slowing his game down. I said, once you get the puck, Stephen, then you can go. And so we just made a couple small, subtle changes in his game, and it kind of uh, took off. He got some power play goals, and then kind of just – it was like pushing him out the door. See you, Stephen. So that lasted for about 20 games or so. We got him dialed in, and he was good to go. Victor Hedman didn't work quite as much with Victor. He was a defenseman, but um, working with Stephen was – um, trying to get him going at the beginning was, was yeah. pretty pretty special, and obviously he's a special player. This, this is a good question if you want to talk about it. Osceola, Wisconsin, asks, uh, when you decided to retire, it was shortly after a game against the Pens and, and Sid. In a fun way, did Sid help you with your decision? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no. Uh, like, that is, that's a whole other podcast, that one. But uh, I actually – you know, strongly, strongly. I, I, I was not going to come back and play that, that year. And um, I remember it was like a one-year deal the last yeah, second. And right? I, After, yeah, it was. I, I remember you were the one of the first players. I, I used to always say, if you get to July 1, you're not getting the guy back. And you signed actually like either that day or a couple of days. Yeah, later. I think Doug flew out and, and met me during the summer. And uh, I just told him, and I had been training a little bit, but I hadn't really turned my training up to where it needed to be. And uh, actually, when Doug had come out to visit me, I'd given it more thought and uh, about playing for another year. And um, my body was really sore. I don't think, I think people just see me skating around the ice and they just assume that I was just, you know, I could do it all the time. I mean, people didn't know the amount of work that went into making sure I, I just had my body right all mm-hmm. the time. And um, so, no, uh, you know, I think we lost that game too. Sydney went off. But, hey, a lot of, a lot of guys I played against went off. So... No, losing to Sidney Crosby was not the reason that I uh, that I had retired. But I will say this: like I know the Wild were uh, very, very gracious in allowing me a few weeks to take some time to to uh, figure out if I wanted to continue to play or not. They were awesome with me, and and um, I know there were some rumors out there. There, it was crazy the stuff that I was hearing, just even out in public, that maybe I had, I was beating up my wife or I got in trouble with the law or something. I, I couldn't believe some of the rumors that I was, that I was hearing. And it was really nothing more confusing than just taking yeah. time to, to well, try to figure well, out. Well, I remember even writing a column almost saying like, you better make it like, like almost uh, like a letter to you, like West, make a decision because you're, yeah. you know, thank God it was like pre-social media because like, you just don't, the rumors that are starting. No, no, like, I know. I know. And uh, I remember your presser still was still one of the most emotional pressers I've ever attended. It yeah. was, uh, it was emotional. Yeah. Well, it was emotional for me too, and yeah. uh, so I tell anybody that played like, if you ever want to have your own press conference for a guy that never scored twenty goals in the NHL, just retire during the season, you get your own press conference. Well, so. just show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but it is—it's so true. Like, how unfortunate is how many great players in the NHL never get that goodbye presser? They just disappear in the sunset. Great players. I've been trying to get Danny Heatley. I've talked to him all the time. Yeah. I've been trying to get him to sit down with me for a story because I've never seen a guy score as many goals as he did and just gone. Yeah. You know, and you see it all the time. Brian Ralston. I, I mean, know. you can name a hundred players. Well, I got never. Get I mean, you, I had a I had a presser. I, people need to know that it wasn't me. I didn't want to do the presser. <laughs> like, they, they it wasn't me begging the wild to do a presser. They wanted me to do the presser, so I said I would yeah. do that for them. But um, just so people don't think that I was you know, retiring and I wanted my whole press conference or something like that. It didn't work that way. Uh, just a couple more for, uh, sure. for West walls. Um, Steve asks, uh, Fiala was red hot when the NHL hit the pause. Do you think he can maintain his hotness after a layoff? I mean, you know, he looked incredible the other day. Um, he's got a couple of weeks to now find those hands and refine those. That was the only thing that he probably lacked the other day. Um, do you think they'll be able to just kind of reestablish that? Um, I have never, I have never been as excited about watching a guy play hockey right now than I, if, if you're a wild fan, than watching what we're watching right now. Um, 
I mean, my biggest thing on, on Kevin before the last 20 games of the season, quarter of the season that we played was it, we saw flashes, Michael, of, of his brilliance. And he was so far away from being a superstar. It wasn't even close. He, like, he, didn't, he had no clue about what a superstar really looks like, like how, how you have to bring it every night, every game, the, the taking care of your body off of the ice, the, um, the, the, the dedication that you need. And something's happened with him. Uh, and, and his, you know, it wasn't that that he had 14 goals in 18 games. I don't know if he had 28 points over 20. It wasn't just that. It was how hard he was competing on pucks and how hard he was playing. And if you're a Wild fan, one of the most exciting things about that is if you look at his playoff numbers in Nashville, he put up some numbers, man. This guy loves the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Those games that he was playing in, Michael, the last 20 games, especially with the Wild winning one of their first eight games, they needed those games. That, That was playoff time. And for him to be able to just pretty much put this team on his back offensively and say, whoever's playing on the ice with me, you're going to be a better player. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch. And he he has the ability to just uh, change a game with, with the, the way he moves the puck, with the way he plays. He's got a tremendous release. I just love his complete level. Um, uh, during the scrimmages, I, still, I saw a little bit of the behind-the-back stuff, uh, yeah. the high-risk thing that – that really for me he took that out of his game and i think that's been a big reason why he's been a superstar is because he's eliminated that you're going to get a little bit of that mike but he's cut that down by 70 percent, and that's what's really changed his game for me because when he turns those pucks over in the offensive zone and just make hopes pass hope passes into the in the offensive zone 100 percent you're going to be playing in your own zone for the rest of the shift right like you're not coming back that's the nhl you can get away with that at high school but you make those plays anywhere on the ice now you play your whole shift in your own zone he's eliminated that and boy oh boy he's fun to watch that was definitely what kind of drove me nuts his first year when he got here and then he just seemed to eliminate that from his game yeah last season um aaron heckman a um Another aspiring sports writer asks, uh, who is your biggest mentor? You've got some guys coming for your job. Huh? I know. Huh? I know. It's kind of humbling. <laughs> what do he say? Uh, who's ask? your favorite mentor? Best mentor? Oh, I Frank mean, Walls? No. Well, <laughs> dad's not going to listen to this podcast because he, he doesn't know how to, how to listen to a podcast. But uh, um, my, my dad growing up watching him play or watching him go to work every day was a big influence on me. But I mean, Jacques Lemaire for yeah, me. Yeah. I mean, you've talked to enough guys that have played under Jock, whether it's Brian Rolston, Sean O'Donnell, guys that have played Willie Mitchell, guys that have played thousands of games, Nick Schultz. I'm no different, man. It's uh, We learned a lot about um, what it took to play as a team and caring about your teammates and, and learned a lot about the small little intricacies um, about the game, taking care of your diet, um, not playing too heavy. He made us weigh in. I mean, he, he made us uh, – he, he held us accountable for all that, and it made us a better yeah. player, so probably Jock. Couple more for uh, West Walls. I, re- I still remember back in 06, it was my first father son trip that I had ever covered. I was at the Huntington Beach Marriott. And I mm-hmm. sat down with your dad, uh, the late Robert Schultz, Nick Schultz's dad, um, Gene Parrish, which is Mark Parrish's yep. dad, uh, Bob Foster, which was Curtis Foster's dad, and Dennis Bouchard, Pierre okay. Mark Bouchard's dad, yeah. for a big round table there. It was my first of like three that I've done. Yeah. I did one this year, right before the pause, when we were in uh, Vancouver. 
And then I did one a uh, couple years ago in South Florida. Those are a lot of fun. Oh, man. They, they are. It's just so cool to kind of sit down. I'm trying to during, you know, during one of the games that the Wild are going to play coming up. I'm, uh, one of the stories that I'm pitching is actually doing a Zoom with like five dads and being a fly on the wall as they watch the game together. Sure. And so a couple of the players have already volunteered their dads for that story. So that, that'll be exciting. It'll be hey, you, better, you better you uh, better get an IT guy to work with them. You might need like four or five days to set up the computers and the uh, yeah. uh, the earbuds and all that yeah. stuff. The good news is that after a four month pandemic, I think even you know elderly human beings know. Even my mom knows how to run a Zoom now. Well, that's so. saying something. Yeah, that's saying so. something. Um, but these are males you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. Um, Josh Funk asks, uh, this is a great question. Was there any big locker room speech during that comeback run that sparked the Minnesota Wild? There were a couple uh, comeback runs uh, against Colorado or Vancouver. Any turning point like that or no? Um, The only thing that really sticks out to me uh, was after we lost uh, game four at home against Colorado. When we went to Denver, we practiced at home after... Uh, losing both games at home. And I, I think we had one of the best records at home during the mm-hmm. uh, regular season that year and lost both games at home against Colorado. And the next day we practiced, we were bummed out. We were, we were, we weren't tired. We were just disappointed that we weren't able to, to get a win. And I, um, and uh, Doug Reisbrow recognized this or Jock or somebody recognized this. And when we got into Denver, we had a meeting back at the hotel before we went out for dinner that night, everyone was in there. And um, Jock and um, Doug Risebro did most of the talking. But one of the things that Doug talked about was his days in Montreal. And, and that was one of the other things that we had in our locker room, to have guys like Doug and Jock <laughs> and Mario, guys that have yeah. won cups, get up in front of us and speak yeah. about momentum. Yeah. Like they've lived it so yeah. many times they understand it. So it meant it really hit us hard. Yeah. And when Doug got up, the one thing that stuck out to me that Doug talked about um, was momentum. And he, he talked about in the playoffs how one game, winning one game can change the momentum of, of, of mm-hmm. a series, regardless of where, you, of where we're at. So he had us, Doug had us so convinced walking out of that locker room or walking out of that hotel uh, conference room at the hotel that, that we were, there was no doubt we were going to play a great game. There was no doubt that we were going to win that game. I just, I remember actually after walking out of that meeting, um, we a lot of us wanted to go walk over to the Pepsi Center and play the game that night. We That's were that, awesome. that were, we were that yeah. excited. So, out of those two series and the, that playoff run in 03, the one thing that stands out to me was Doug Risebro getting in front of us for about a half an hour, yeah. talking about his experience and all of us just looking up man, at him and the, listening. The pedigree of that management when you have Doug Risebro and their coaching staff of Lamare, Tremblay, and Ramsey. Yeah, you know we always forget. You, you talk about Lamare and Tremblay. Ramsey won a little yeah. gold medal in uh, 1980 yeah. and was one and played hell over of a and, and played over a thousand yeah. games and was uh, was yeah. was all heart when he yeah. played. Too. And Bob Mason yeah. uh, was the goalie coach. Uh, I swear a couple more. Uh, good one. Tweet 96. Adam asks, uh, "How is your son Kelvin doing overseas?" Kelvin's doing. Kelvin's doing good. He just finished his second. Well, he didn't just finish it, but the season ended early over there in Switzerland as well, too. So he's playing in the in the Swiss B League over there. Um, in the process right now of negotiating a contract right now to head back over to Switzerland, everything's kind of been slow over yeah, there as well, too. No different than what's going on here in in North America. Teams don't know when the season's going to start. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the bigger guys tie Germany in, just even pushed back to, to November. December. Yeah, December. I think December first. Okay. Yeah. So maybe the Swiss league might be right behind them yeah. doing that too. So um, he's looking to play his third year over there in Switzerland. Not a hundred percent sure it's going to happen quite yet, but uh, 
we'll see how that plays out. But thanks for the question. Um, just a couple more. I swear, this is a great question from Benjamin Richardson. Um, having played with Marion Gabrick, how would you compare his game to Kevin Fiala? Um, they're different types of players. Their their scoring ability and their release is very similar. Like the way the puck comes off their stick, it's uh, like Brock Besser does it as a righty. Uh, certain guys around the league, Mike, and you've seen guys shoot the puck. There's there's certain guys when it comes off your their stick, you're like, there's something different about that. Kevin has that. Marion had that. Um, uh, Marion Gabrick's straightaway speed mm -hmm. is faster than Kevin Fiala, but Kevin Fiala uh, is faster. He's more of an agile skater, side to side, can spin, turn a little yeah. bit more, come out of turns quicker. And Kevin's got a, uh, and I, I probably got to watch his game and his skating and his footwork a little different. He's got a little Connor McDavid to his footwork and skating. Like he seems to get faster when he has the puck on yes. his stick and has an ability when he hits seams to be able to get three or four feet of separation to get shots off. Like I used to be able to, to, you know, fly through, you know, th those areas too. And then I never had three or four feet to shoot the puck. It almost <laughs> seems like he gets a little bit faster when it's time to release the puck. So, um, scoring ability, putting the puck in the net, very, very similar. Uh, obviously Marion did it for many, many years. Kevin's done uh -huh. it for 20 games. Let's, uh, I'm not going to say pump the brakes. I'm excited about what Kevin brings. And the other thing about Kevin that, that Marion didn't have, and I know this cause I played with Marion for many years, Kevin sees the ice man he's he can really pass the puck yeah he, he he can spin out of a out of a he can spin out of a quiet zone area and create four or five feet of separation enough to make a backhand pass or a hard forehand pass and, and put someone else in in position mary marion was he was thinking about scoring goals when he got in the offensive yeah, zone kevin's of got more of a rounded game yeah. if that makes any yeah. sense i don't know why i just had this deja vu of this one game that you were playing against andrew burnett when he played for colorado oh, you had to bring this up <laughs> Why do you bring know, this up? I don't know why I just thought of it. But Every yeah. time we do something yeah. together, you got to bring up the drop pass. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Two-on-one, and all of a sudden, I'm watching with the press box, and out of nowhere, Walls on a two-on-one just drops the puck to Bruno to go the other way. I remember. And you knew that Bruno in that Bruno voice oh, just must have, must have yelled, Wallsy! No, I know, but you, yeah. you know his stupid cackle, too, uh, yeah. that, that huge, loud <laughs> laugh. You would have probably heard that from the from the yeah. press box, too. I remember dropping that puck You back. were steaming. I turned the puck. I turned... After I, after I dropped the puck, I turned toward the, the glass, the bench, and the disgust in the fans. Like, I just happened to look into the stands as I had to start backchecking. I, I just, I remember there were a few guys with their hands on top of their head. Like, what is he doing? And I remember we asked you after the game and you were not, you didn't have a sense of humor about it. You were not happy. Yeah. Um, really good question. And there are two questions. One, Joe goes, why do you uh, often wear two different gloves when you play it? And then Will follows up by saying one is his right hand and one is the left hand. Come on, Joe. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's pretty solid. Why did you wear two different gloves? Well, because I had two different companies paying me. Ah, no, I wish that was the case. That was, that was a joke. They, they pay the star players top money. Uh, no, the only, the only reason I wore two gloves is because I, I, I like the feel of, of my, my glove, you know, with my hockey knob on the top and the, the one I had on my bottom hand, maybe it had a little more grip in it or whatever. I, I'd like the, the feel of my bottom of the bottom. Yeah. There's no, really no, it wasn't really anything too confusing, but it's amazing how many times I, I get that question, especially if people are looking at hockey cards or, or whatever. I'm but. amazed at wild fans, what they pick up on in terms yeah. of, uh, in terms of equipment during game. I mean, 
the only time. Like sometimes even Parisi will like shocked that I'll ask him like, you know, uh, how can you change your stick? And he'd be like shocked that I noticed. I'm like, I didn't notice. Somebody asked me on Twitter. Yeah. You know, like I don't notice, uh, you know, skates and I no. Mean, well, you've everyone, always got your head in the computer. Yeah, you don't exactly. wait to watch the games anyway. <laughs> That's another great West Wall story. <laughs> Walls once in the locker room. Hey, I, I can rib you. I can rib you yeah, too. Yeah, but Walls was, I think, ticked with something I wrote. And you, you called me over and you asked me if I watched the games. And I said. And I said, not in the third period. Yeah, and I, and that was verified when I finally got up to the press box and started doing games, and I'd look over at the top of your head from, from the press box. Go, yes, he is not watching the game at all. Yeah, no, just got it right during the <laughs> yep, third period. Yep. Last question, uh, Wild Prospects and Young Players asks, uh, what is the thing you miss most about playing in Minnesota? Uh, well, playing in Minnesota, just the fans, the the atmosphere in the building is 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 unparalleled it's amazing and the, and the, the fact that we're going to be playing in the playoffs without any fans is just that that is just disappointing and i mean i know obviously we're in a difficult situation with the pandemic and everything but um i miss the playoffs man like i right now i i feel like a little kid right now i'm so excited about like two weeks cannot come fast enough and i'm sure you feel the same way too mike without any hockey i mean there's nothing better than playoff hockey. We all don't know what it's going to look like, but I just, I just know, I know professional hockey players. It's, it's going to be so fast, Mike. I don't think it's going to matter if there's anybody in the stands. I just think guys are going to be playing so hard. Um, it's going to be so competitive, and um, I don't miss the training. I miss being around my buddies. One of my favorite things too was winning on the road uh, in hostile environments, being in the locker room for the 10 minutes. Like I told you, some of the, some of the images that, that are still embedded into my head, especially those first few years when, I mean, we won 25 games our first year. We beat Detroit guys, teams that had payrolls at 90 million. Uh, you know, we had $20 million payrolls and we were able to beat them a couple times that first year. Uh, I, I remember a lot of those experience with my teammates. Um, but there's nothing, nothing will match uh, playoff hockey and playing in the playoffs. I miss that the most. Remember that one fourth line the Red Wings had? It was like it was like Robitaille, Brett Hall, and Brendan Shanahan oh, all making like yeah, eight million each. Yeah, this is crazy. Well, there, yeah, maybe not eight million, but yeah, they would yeah. all have been five million dollar yeah. players, and we were all five hundred thousand dollar players playing Nuts. against them. <laughs> oh man, we were asking them for their autographs there uh, before the before and after yeah. the games. Well, Wes, I uh, really do appreciate it. This might have been my longest podcast uh, that I've oh. ever done, So, and we could have definitely kept on going. Uh, but actually, I got to call uh, Oh, yeah, you got Berkey you, Your here. phone has been blowing up. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been buzzing right <laughs> I off. I was supposed of to the... call Berkey 22 minutes ago. He's reminding me that he has a Zoom coming up. Yeah, so. let's get out Here's of here. Here's a perfect example. Brian Burke knows how to use Zoom. Well, of course. He's, he's, he's a TV star at Sportsnet back in, in, in Canada, so... Uh, but yeah, your phone's been buzzing off the uh, off the table. You got some calls to make. We'll uh, we'll get past it. Well, uh, make sure you watch Wes and Anthony Lapanta, Ryan Carter on Fox Sports North uh, during the uh, qualifying round and hopefully the playoffs. They also will be doing the game on July twenty uh, ninth against the Colorado Avalanche, which is a two thirty game, I believe, uh, exhibition game. I believe that's the time. I think it's one thirty. One thirty. So two thirty. Yeah, that would be two thirty there. One thirty our time. No, that would make sense. All right, it's. Uh, Read The Athletic, and I'll give you the time. <laughs> uh, it's one of those times, uh, but that is going to be on Fox Sports North as well, yep. and the qualifying round exclusive on Fox Sports North, and uh, hopefully the first round um, as well. And uh, again, Wes, uh, appreciate you coming down here to uh, 
to beautiful uh, yeah. Eastern Burbs. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a, this is a nice place. Where does Bruce Boudreaux stay? Which which room is his? <laughs> He's is out of the, the far hall. Room. He's yeah, got the guest exactly. room. Okay. Uh, check out our comments section for each podcast episode of the Athletic app, and don't forget to rate and subscribe to Straight from the Source on Apple. If you click on the show URL, and now's the time to do it with hockey coming back, theAthletic.com/slash/straight from the source, you'll get forty percent off your subscription. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Michael.